Good evening, and you're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am Len. I am your host for this week. And we are joined for this end of year. I don't know. Extravaganza feels a little dramatic. I don't know if we're really I don't know if we're extravagant. I don't necessarily feel extravagant. right? I now. bought special rum for my eggnog, so. OK. <laughs> That's pretty extravagant. Uh, we are joined uh, by PC Games Inn's Ian Boudreaux. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. And by Fanbytes Mike Williams. Hello, hello, folks. How's everybody doing today? And by 3MAs, I don't even know what to how to introduce you anymore. I was thinking maybe uh, Janitor Emeritus. <laughs> Janitor Emeritus, uh, Mike Gillis. Hi. So we do have two mics, and as I was saying before the show, you will need to fight to the death because, uh, you know, that's that's just the rules. It's in the handbook. Um, yeah, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't proceed without that. So, um, yeah, uh, I think the, whoever wins yeah, the coin like, uh, flip gets to choose the weapon. <laughs> um, is, is this, is this beat it, you know, West Side Story style? We tie hands together and try is there to singing? each other. Did we do singing? You know, I'm not opposed <laughs> to that. I'm, I'm really not opposed to that. A dance off. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, well, why we're actually here is uh, to discuss the year that was 2022, um, which was, you know, as years go overall, um, maybe not making it into the Hall of Fame. But for strategy games, it actually was a very good year, uh, believe it or not. Um, I think a lot better than last year where we just kind of got to the end and we're like, what even was yeah, what even was 2021? You can go back and listen to that episode. It, it it just felt like, you know, the pandemic shifting everything off by a year. And then like a lot of that ended up landing this year. And uh, we ended up having sort of like a, a feast after the famine thing going on. Um, at least that's that's sort of how I have been looking at it. It was the um, year of tactics. It was the year of tactics. There were a lot of good tactics games uh, that came out this year to the point that I got invited on a completely different podcast to talk about <laughs> tactics games. Um, uh, yeah, so what so. Um, I don't know, what are what are we going to do? Are we going to do like the reality show thing where I call you like Mike G and Mike W? What's <laughs> uh uh fancy mike and you, you, and, can, you can go with mh for me okay mh uh what was what was your favorite tactics game this year oh favorite mm. I, I feel like tactics ogre reborn doesn't count because it, it's technically a remake but it does change a lot of stuff uh maybe midnight sun oh yeah i'll go with midnight sun yeah it was it was a, a pretty stacked year um and probably of the two lighter games is midnight suns and Mario plus rabbit sparks of hope, um, which I liked both of, cause they just sort of played with the formula a little bit more, made it a little bit more accessible, which I always think is uh, a good thing. Like, it's not like the tactics genre is, is, you know, in danger of uh, being completely watered down or anything at any point now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Sparks of Hope is one we haven't done a show on yet, so I would like to spend a little bit more time on that one. Did did anyone else here play it yet? Sadly, no, not me. Okay, so what? Like, so 
Um, MH, is there like, what is it specifically that you think Sparks of Hope did that was, you know, interesting in comparison to the first game? Like, how does it sort of advance that formula? Uh, in terms of, so the first game, and I'd probably say was Gears Tactics last year. Time, time is compression. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I guess uh, both of them sort of realized that uh, part of the way to make tactics a little bit more accessible to folks is to make it more aggressive. Um, like Marvelous Rabbids, the first one um, made it a lot faster to move and attack and, you know, added cover. So and it wasn't as punishing. This one, uh, and Midnight Suns does the same thing, gets rid of the grid. There's no, like, like you just have movement space, which has been done in other tactics games before, but I, I guess people dislike the idea or something like that. Because um, I remember playing it in one like this with Phantom Brave all the way back on PS2. Um, but, you know, getting rid of strict grids, making it, far more aggressive, allowing for a lot of different movement abilities, a lot of different um, attacks that chain onto each other. It just makes it more kinetic, a little bit meatier than some tactics games. Uh, and in comparison, of course, you have stuff like Triangle Strategy and Tactics Ogre, where like battles take a very long time. And really, a lot of the meat is in pre-prep rather than the actual fight itself. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about it being like really kinetic and really meaty, that also reminds me of my favorite tactics game of the year, which was uh, chaos gate demon hunters, um, which does use a grid, but I think that is also something it did really well is like even just ordering a space Marine to run across the battlefield had this like yeah. clunk, 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 like the sound design and the animations and the camera angles all kind of came together to give you the idea that these are like imposing, you know, uh, larger than life figures, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And, and at and the same time, it's kind of giving like a lot more. I, I don't know. This is something that just this is a gut feeling about uh, Demon Hunters. But you got it seems like you got more movement per turn uh, than I would have expected from, you know, they're, they're space marines. So they're big and clunky. They're 10 foot tall. uh Adeptus Astartes. So like, you know, the, I, the speed with which you could move across the map and, and engage felt good. Like it, it did feel like kinetic, like you were talking, Mike. Yeah. And, and that's why I brought up Gears Tactics and another one that I'm playing, which is currently in Alpha Early Access, Rogue Trader, in that both of those, their version of more kinetic, more aggressive is if you attack and the attack is, you know, successful or you kill a guy or whatever, you get further attacks or further combos and yeah. it allows the attacks to really build on each other, uh, which increases the pace and speed, but also feels a little bit more satisfying when you get the right combo in there. Right, right. And like Midnight Suns does that, too, with stuff like quick, quick and marked um, abilities. Um, I feel like it's becoming pretty standard. I want to say I want to kind of credit. I could be wrong. I kind of want to credit Shin Megami Tensei for being like 
maybe the progenitor or the popularizer of this because they've had that sort of active time battle system for a long time where playing better grants you momentum which gives you more moves and stuff um maybe there was someone else who did it before they did um yeah that's something i love that it's it seems like it's becoming almost standard in tactics games where it's like you know you want to design the perfect turn you want to design you know the turn where you know your your success builds on itself and you just kind of run away with the victory um if you think a little bit more than just oh i'm gonna point my <laughs> my best guy at like the first enemy i see and you know you you, you kind of get a little bit more tactical with it um um mike mikey g did you play <laughs> i promise i won't call you mikey g unless you want me to did you play any more uh or did you play any interesting tactics games this year that really stood out to you I thought um, Symphony of War was really uh, interesting and good. I was thinking of it just now because yeah. of the um, the uh, momentum kind of concept. It feels like it goes quickly um, to me anyway. I don't know if it, it's not tactics in the same way, I guess, right? It's not squad-based, and I think you guys uh, were mostly I mean, talking it's, about. Yeah, it's still tactics. Yeah. Um, it, it's a different... It's, Fire Emblem style, for those who have not seen some play of war, it is definitely a a bunch of developers, not from Japan, who looked at old old Fire Emblem and were like, we can do that. Um, yeah. It's actually pretty pretty good at it. Yeah, I, I think so. It feels very classic to me, uh, despite the fact that I also played some uh, Tactics Ogre, Ogre, Ogre Reborn this this year, too, and that obviously is is a real on deep cut um but the symphony of war i felt like they the the mechanics in between the units um felt to me like they were really going for speed um and this feeling of like overwhelming the enemy and and having turns that really mattered which really appealed to me because when you do go back and play tactics ogre as fun as it is and and classic it's not it's not nearly as snappy um so i, I definitely was kind of shocked by how much I enjoyed Symphony of War. I do want to correct myself. I said active time battle. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei calls it push turn. I know that the SMT people will jump on me for <laughs> it's that. It's probably so too late. <laughs> just, just wanted to head that off. P- push turn battle system is what that, that style is called. Um, yeah, I think it, it really lets you create the idea that like these characters are very powerful without making the game feel super easy too which is something that like the Midnight Suns developers talked about, like just dropping superheroes into XCOM didn't feel good Uh, with Space Marines. It's the same thing. Like you, you always have the problem that Space Marines are supposed to be these ultra badasses. So like, how do you, you know, make a challenging game that doesn't just make them feel pathetic. And I think the way you do that is by saying, okay, you can make all of the people you can you can go up against like 16 enemies and make them look like chumps, but you're going to have to put some thought into that. You're going to have to, like, figure out an order of operations to where if you were watching this as a movie, it would be like, yeah, my, you know, my space Marines or my Marvel heroes went in and they just kicked everybody's butt and, you know, dusted off their hands and moved on. But the actual, you know, friction that keeps that from just being a foregone conclusion 
is you having to plan out in your head how to make that happen, which is great, honestly. Yeah, and there's there's some flexibility to it. There's another game that came out, um, Hard West 2, um, which was good, but uh, I don't know if there's like a term for it. Tactics games or strategy games where there is clearly a correct way to finish it. I, I think I heard someone call it like puzzle strategy or something like that. Yeah. Hard West 2 is definitely one of those style games where there each encounter is designed in a way and you just need to figure out the way that the developer wanted you to get out of it and sort of live up to that. Um, whereas some of these other games were a little bit more flexible in what they allow you to do. Right, right. Like I do, I don't ever feel like I go into a Midnight Suns mission and there's like automatically one best answer, partly because of the randomization. Like you might, you don't know what cards you're going to have. Um, so I think that helps a lot from it not just feeling like, you know, Advance Wars is the one I use as a classic example of a tactics game where it felt like there was one correct way they wanted you to beat every mission. Um, yeah. So it's it's uh it's randomness is like one way you can kind of mess with that. Um Demon Hunters had a little bit of that, I guess. Uh Demon Hunters is a little it bit is, more deterministic, maybe. Yeah, um, there, there, I mean there's things um, they did have uh, just with the yeah. way that the pressure gets ramped up depending on you know what what stage the bloom's at in your in the particular planet that you've gone to. So the, I felt that there was a pretty, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I, I uh, Each demon hunters mission that I've, I, that I played at least for the first, you know, several like or dozen hours, uh, you know, it, it just felt, I, I, I never got to a point where I felt sure that I knew what was coming. So I think they did a pretty good job with that. I, I mean, and the other thing with that is, I mean, the, the, as you mentioned, the, uh, the pressure stays on. They just continue to throw stuff at you. So uh, it, it was actually a surprisingly difficult game, I found. Um, after playing lots of XCOM, I was kind of surprised by how, um, yeah, how stiff the, the challenge was in Demon Hunters. So one of the other themes that I feel like was was resonant for me in 2022 was being kind of disappointed by studios or franchises that I'm a big fan of. Um, uh, I won't include creative assembly in this. I might have if immortal empires had not become a thing, which we'll get to, um, later on. I think that's the one that has the most little stars next to it of, I want to talk about this in our planning doc. Uh, but we, I like elephant in the room for me is definitely Victoria three. Uh, which just I played an early build of it and I was like really into it. I mean, I put like a hundred hours into it, so I feel like I'm that like stereotypical Steam reviewer who's like, I hate this game, 150 hours played or whatever. Um, but then they they started patching it and it just felt like okay, we're gonna we're gonna um uh, we got a little bit of wobble on our, our front left wheel here. We're just going to tighten up this lug yeah. nut and everything. It just like rolled off of a hill um, and they never really got. I mean, they're on break now, which they should. That's great. Game developers should have long vacations, more long vacations for game developers, in my opinion. 
Um, but you know, it came to the end of the year and I don't feel like they got it to a place where I'm like, yeah, I, I really am interested in playing Victoria three again. Um, it's a, you know, <laughs> I think I've called it a breathtakingly ambitious game so many times that it's just become a cliche at this point. Uh, because it really is like how system, like dri- how systems driven it is, how complex those systems are, how they all interact. I would not want to be the person in charge of getting this game to behave itself uh, by any means. Um, and I love the ambition and I think it has a lot of potential. But at the end of the year, I was just like, man, Victoria 3, I don't feel like was a highlight for me this year. I feel like I just ended up being disappointed with how. Like, it feels like an early access game at this point, honestly, like it has some really good ideas, but it needs like another year (laughs) before it's going to be in ship shape. I don't know if it, am I the only one so, who felt that way? Well, definitely not because uh, there's, I mean, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, okay. around the internet, there's, there's all kinds of people who clearly feel the same way that you do and that something's broken since it launched. I, I personally, I can't really speak to it because like once I finished a paradox review, I just have to put it down for several months. I mean, and, and I think that's like, like I just haven't oh, been yeah. back. I mean, there's, you know, other stuff to do. And I, I, you know, needed a break after mainlining it for a month. But, um, but I think that's all right. Like, uh, it's same thing happened after Crusader Kings three. Like I, I just, you know, did not play it again until there had been some updates. It had been, it was, you know, several, maybe it could have been four or five months later that I wound up starting a new campaign again. And by that time, I think, I mean, that game came out in a different state and Victoria three, you know, is kind of, like you said, Len, it, the, I guess the, the thing that's, that's so impressive about it, the, the, the thing that is breathtaking about it is how, where that ambition is, is in that the overlapping interlocked systems. Um, and, and the fact that they took a hammer to so many of the original ones, the the ones that they were coming off of from Victoria two to completely reimagine the way they worked in three, uh, compounds that problem. Right. So yeah, I, I, I think it, that's what it seems like, though, you, that that it, it's kind of busted now and it's going to take another. I don't know if it's going to take a year, but um, it does need it sounds like it, it it needs some time to kind of just reach homeostasis again, I guess. Yeah, that, that sounds right. I I uh, I I played it as soon as it launched. I was a, a big defender of it for a little while because I, I'm so impressed by how much they did get in there but i think part of the problem for me was the the first um the first few patches the list of notes that came out i had been seeing rumors and and people were discussing you know i think this is broken this might be broken i don't know about this and i you know people complain a lot so i wasn't taking a lot of it that seriously but then when the patch notes came out and said no this is actually really broken and this happens and we're going to fix this by um, addressing things that seemed like really, really fundamental to the model made me, made me think like, oh, this, this actually isn't ready. Um, <laughs> and, and I, that's part of what I think is getting me to stay away from it for a while. I'd really like it to, um, be, you know, my game of the year next year, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, and, and like, um, friend of the show, Gary Alexander said, you know, while we were discussing it uh, on Discord, like 
I think it has the most potential of any of Paradox's grand strategy games. And, and I kind of agree, like, you know, the the way that it it's really about people and it's about demographics and it's about how people shape society, not necessarily how sh- society shapes people. It's this bottom up approach to historical strategy. And I really, really like that. Um <clears throat> Yeah, well, yeah, you it, have to start with the engine, right? Like I, yeah. a, a lot of my, my day job is getting software out the door and Victoria three came out very close to when a huge project of, of ours uh, finished. And I was so, uh, I could, I could put myself in the shoes of somebody trying to get Victoria three. I've never obviously made a game like that or anything like that, but like um, the, choices that you would have to make to get um get anything that complex to anywhere near playable and ship it and have people be able to poke at it without it instantly coming apart at the seams is really amazing so i think i it's fair to be critical of it and i am but um but there's so much of a base there that they put in place that has so much going for it that i think I, I can't imagine it not becoming something much better and more exciting um, in the next year or two. Um, I know we say that about every Paradox game, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been borne out. I mean, Stellaris became just a phenomenally better game than it was at launch. Um, Imperator, Imperator, unfortunately, yeah. didn't because they, they, <laughs> they cut development on it. But yeah, it's. But it was a start, it was starting to, though. Like, I mean, they did cut development, but it, it, was. it was absolutely yeah. on the way yeah. to a complete. I mean, it was almost a different game. Stellaris, the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it did like it, I think part of why Victoria 3 was disappointing is, again, Ian, you said, you know, CK3 was in very different shape at launch. And I think I had kind of lulled myself into a false sense of security with that because ck3 1.0 was a slick game it just it ran well it worked it was it was it was slick um and yeah vicky vicky 3 has just not been so far but i wish it the best (laughs) (laughs) i will i will come back to check in on it when a major patch drops and i don't see the subreddit the next day just filled with like look at this ridiculous new bug that they created Um, or look at this ridiculous new bug they created, and I'm like, okay, that's not going to ruin my enjoyment. That's just funny, which is, you know, the good type of ridiculous bug to have. Um, so, yeah, and then Mountain Blade 2, which uh, John Bolding isn't here to to talk about our shared disappointment on that, but that was an interesting one in that I played it when it came out in early access, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. Um, I'm going to probably put it down until it's done and then you know two years later they're like it's done and i come back and i'm like this is yeah. pretty much the same the thing that i remember that was kind of my feeling ago. about it too yeah i was I about mean, to say one of the and I, yeah. I missed out on the discussion about this but like the the reason i keep going back to mountain blade uh two is because they're the only people who are really attempting to do what they're doing which is wild to me true um and tail worlds, you know, uh, they've got their strengths, strengths and weaknesses. I, I, there's this sense that it could be something really amazing. And the, this, you know, the, the campaign layer just isn't really, I don't know. It just doesn't seem done. Right. And 
I don't know though. There's something that is very compelling about being able to lead a cavalry charge in, you know, effectively first person um, while managing. That's it's such a great feeling that manages to uh, to put together on the battlefield. And I I just wish there was more to it than there is. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the conclusion we came to in the episode we did on it. Is like no complaints about the battles. The battles rock. There's obvious. Obviously, I mean, we had Brett Devereaux on and he had some suggestions on how you could make them more historical. But um, yeah, it just seems like everything else is is just sort of an OK framework to get you into those battles, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, so do you think that was a, a, like a pandemic thing or just a issue at the design, like at the, the bedrock there? I, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I don't think I. I don't think anything. Like it doesn't. <clears throat> it's not rushed. I don't. I don't think that it feels rushed. Uh, I do think that it does feel. I think that if the feeling that I get from it is that the planning just didn't go very far. Like there's there's just not that there's not that much design to say trade or. Um, Right. Like it it feels like they accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish, but their list of goals was not. You know, it it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't geared toward making a really rich, complex and fun campaign. Loop. Like it's uh, yeah, it's. Like it, I don't know. It feels I, like, I feel like they would need to go back. To, they would need to go back to the drawing board and say, can we make this game fun in a way that even if you hit auto resolve on all the battles, it would still be a fun game. And that's never really been their focus. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, it kind of serves the same purpose as uh, Elite Dangerous did early on, which was like, I'll throw this uh, I'll throw a podcast like three moves ahead on and uh and just kind of do either space trucking or uh, my uh, have my war band of beer and cheese thieves, um, you know, run around and and take out some, you know, bandits or something like that for an hour or two. Um, so it does it does that pretty well. But yeah, it just it it seems like it just does, it lacks a depth uh, when it comes to its ambition for trade and politics and things like that that could be really really interesting and uh, you know make the map a, a lot. Uh, the whole area just a lot, a lot more dynamic and interesting and uh, i don't know it just it doesn't quite manage that but um no, I, i've still had a lot of fun with mountain blade did anybody else have any games that like you were really looking forward to for 2022 as far as like strategy and tactics goes that like you played it and you're like ah the version of this game that was you know, I built up in my head was not the same as what I actually got. Um, I'd say one that came out of nowhere for me was Deerfield Chronicle. Um, oh yeah, that was interesting, but I don't think it really came together. Like the sort of real time tactical movement and combat of the game is an interesting idea but none of the battles are particularly hard or require any real thought. Like 
it, it definitely feels like the first step in a much better game. And I don't know if they're going to get that second step, but it, it would be interesting if they did. Yeah, it almost felt like the, the impression I got from Dio Field is that just like, I don't know, there was there was some spare dev resources laying around at Square Enix and they're like, just go ahead and make a game like it's we're not you know, it's not going to be Final Fantasy. It's not going to be, you know, Kingdom Hearts. It's just going to be, you know, we we have some extra bandwidth here. It's it's it's, you know, it feels like the the junior varsity team um just you know make whatever you want and i don't know it's it feels like it's meant to be played on maybe like a tablet or a steam deck is like the ideal platform for that or switch or switch even um because it is yeah it is kind of like yeah you're 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 gonna send your your tough guys to the front and you're gonna you know keep your your mages or whatever in back and and sort of push through a level like that i don't know i don't know i have officially gone into rambling mode so yeah it just it just it, it lacked it lacked a lot like yeah someone put up an idea and it was a solid idea but i don't think they they whiteboarded it enough and built it out into a full game um it's the kind of game i would maybe expect to see from a new indie team um, and I don't actually know it, it was published by Square Enix, but I don't actually know who developed it. So I'm just kind of like, I mean, maybe they're just trying something out, which is fine. I'm just it it didn't come together as well as I hoped it would. It says it's uh, so it's co-developed by Square Enix and Lancars, who are the Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey people. Huh. So that's, that's an interesting combination there. Mm. Yeah, that's an um, interesting team there. Yeah, um, I I liked it. It just it was like someone asked on Twitter, like, "What is the most seven out of ten game you played in 2022?" And I'd say Dio Field Chronicle was was that. It was like the most seven out of ten game that I played. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, um, Doug Cockle as the narrator in the English version, though The Witcher himself, so. That's that was cool. That was <laughs> I appreciated that. Would everybody come you have down to give on Steam a... credit for? Or... Go ahead, please. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, you have to give Square credit. I think for all these strange little things coming out over the past year or two, I, it doesn't seem like any of them are really landing, and they don't seem to be very good at small games. But um, but they're trying, right? And and I, I think that's uh, that's very cool. And they've all got this sort of square feeling around them they've got all the all the crystals and shiny things and yeah belts but yeah uh, weird like pseudo european like names where you know they'll change philip to willip or something like that (laughs) like they have have this very specific way of like evoking the square enix middle ages that uh is is distinct yeah so uh yeah, it's it's worth checking out. I think if you can like get it on sale or something, <laughs> it's it's a it's an interesting little real time tactics thing with a very very JRPG story. Um, yeah. So 
I guess now would be as good a time as any to start digging into Immortal Empires. Um, sort of stands as a counterpoint to Victoria 3 in that Victoria 3 had like just an absurd amount of complexity and it kind of tripped over its shoelaces. Immortal Empires also has a tremendous amount of complexity and I am baffled by the fact that it works as well as it does. <laughs> That's really uh, the the thing, isn't it? Like this, how did the, the, thinking back to when they first uh, announced a a, a Warhammer license that they were going to use in the it, they were going to make a Total War Warhammer game that was nuts, and you know, ten years later they've uh, now it's every it's all Warhammer everything uh, it's all here and and more really because they've they've added a bunch of like weird white dwarf stuff it's all there and it works. It's nuts. Uh, War- Warhammer one was 2016, so it's not 10 oh, years not yet. T- Don't well, make okay. me feel they, that. Sorry. <laughs> I know they, they were. Uh, they, I, I know that for the developers themselves, they were. Time is subjective. This, uh, that long, but but yeah. That's true. They, we, yeah. that, that was uh, that was 2016. <sighs> still, it's like every every time I hear so and so was 10 years ago, I just go, no. But that's one where I'm actually like, wait, no, that actually wasn't 10 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're um, my baby's uh, AARP member now or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's exactly what they described it was going to be. And like they're like they didn't really have to make any compromises for the most part. And it's still like like it performance is really good. Uh, the, the campaign tuning is really good. The end game scenarios are really good. You have an absurd number of different factions to play. I think it's 87 different lords at this point um, with with more on the way. And yeah, it's it's astounding. It is an astounding piece of strategy game achievement. I mean, just on that on that note, that to go back and retune all the original lords from the from the first game, uh, you can I mean, the power creep issue, right? You can look at that happening over the course of the three, uh, you know, main campaigns. We're up to demons and uh, stuff like that now. Uh, but you can jump back in as Carl Franz and still have a pretty good time. I, I'm, I'm, I, that's that in itself. I feel is amazing. Yeah, they've even added like they've gone back and added like these complex meta mechanics for like the game one factions, like the Elector Counts stuff, which yeah. I think actually came in Warhammer 2's development cycle. Um, but they've gone back and tried to bring everyone up to the level of the newer factions, which is really appreciated. Um, to the point that, you know, Warriors of Chaos were the worst faction, like, by a long shot, and now they might be the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess that's going to create kind of like a rotating standard, right? Because whoever got a big refresh most recently is going to put whoever is currently at the back of that line, you know, feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit lacking. I think uh, Norska right now, I think, is one that that needs some more love. Um, I know people on on forums and stuff really want vampire counts to get some new stuff. Um, I still keep hoping that the beast men get like, you know, get their, their time in the sun at some point, but that hasn't really happened. Yeah, they had, they did have a rework when they added like the, um, 
Oh, what are the giant like gibbering horror oh, uh, units? The Jabber Slife. Yeah, yeah, they added like the Jabber Slife and and like uh reworked their campaign a bit. But yeah, they still they could still use another pass. Some of these are on the point where they've already had a second pass, but it was so long ago that they right. need a third pass now. Um, but I love that. I mean, it seems like CA is able to continue developing this. Um, particularly with how heartbreaking it was that they just like ended development on three kingdoms <laughs> after they'd already talked about all the other stuff they wanted to do with it. Um, I- yeah. yeah, I was wondering if they were if they were done done or if they were going to keep going with with this because I I assume they have to be making another Total War game, right? They are. There is at least one other Total War game in development right now, but I think the Warhammer DLC team is just on Warhammer. Like they have the the main team that like made the base game Warhammer Three is off doing something else now, but. The DLC team who also did all the DLC for Warhammer 2, like they're all in on Warhammer for like the next like five years, potentially. Yeah. So um, at least we hope. Well, and if, if all goes well, um, and the, I guess Immortal Empires, it's, it's worth pointing out, came out in it was August, right? That the beta finally came out. OK, right. Mm-hmm. And that. Like it's they, the DLC team has a challenge because they have to create DLC that's going to work with the uh, the this massive uh, combined Immortal Empires campaign, but also with the really weird um, uh, Demons of Chaos campaign that uh, Total Warhammer three shipped with. And I I have different feelings about that campaign than I do about Immortal Empires. Exactly. And I feel like they should just drop that. Um, I understand that it's like, oh, well, if I only bought Warhammer three, you know, I'm not going to buy this DLC because I wouldn't be able to use it without buying two other games. But I think at this point, just just put out like a game of the year edition or something. Just put out base game Warhammer one, two and three. You can even charge 60, 70 bucks for it, I think. And that would be pretty reasonable and then just sell immortal empires dlc i I don't think many people want to go back to the (laughs) the realms of chaos campaign i saw some statistics on it lately and i think it was like two percent of new campaigns started are realms of chaos and the other 98 percent are immortal empires um so yeah it's just, I mean, I don't know that I don't know that it's bad. It just makes me feel, and this was I of the vortex was like this to a lesser extent too. But with the way that the this extreme timing pressure to have you know an army ready to do a particular thing in a particular place at all times, it it just made me feel like I play Total War wrong. All the, that's it's not what I wanted to do. I've always wanted to go back to sandbox and and mess around and sort of in a more free form sort of environment and, and demons of chaos felt prescriptive in a way that I don't know that it, it, I don't know. I just could not, I, I never felt like I was on uh, its pace, I guess. Yeah. I still think it's like, it's a fun thing to play through like maybe once or twice. 
as like, okay, this is the campaign and then Immortal Empires is the real game. That's how I feel about it, too. Yeah. You know, you play through this to see the story because there's some cool like cut scenes and stuff. Um, So, yeah, it's it's. uh, I know they're aware of it. Creative Assembly has said they're aware of of like the accessibility issue with Immortal Empires. Um, And I hope that they will find some way to be like, okay, if I just if I'm like Immortal Empires slaps, you need to play it. Here's what you need to buy. And it's not telling them to spend one hundred dollars on three different. Yeah. You know, games that, you know, two of them, they're not going to ever play. They're just buying it to unlock this mega campaign. I feel like you could and you could either sell the box Um, or you could sell like a, a, you know, a Hitman three style upgrade to give you the, I don't know, gold edition or something that, oh, yeah, there's, there's a way that they could do it. It's not, uh, not wild. So I'm seeing, I can't see who actually starred stuff, but I see we do have two stars on Songs of Conquest, um, which was sort of like a, it was almost like a blink and you miss it in the strategy calendar for this year. Uh, It's a very, like, kind of, um, Heroes of Might and Magic inspired throwback type game. It has like a very like deliberately like mm-hmm. SNES sort of evocative art style. Um, we did do an episode on it a while ago. Um, that's definitely one where I was like, oh, yeah, that came out this year. That was pretty good. What was the uh, the consensus on it? Because I, I, like, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I wasted hundreds of hours in my teens to uh, Heroes of Might and Magic. I had a chance. I jumped into uh, Songs of Conquest quickly and was like, this is charming. I can't wait to play it again. And uh, and then never came back to it. So it, it does it does it advance the uh, I don't know. I, I, part of me doesn't want to mess with my memories of Heroes of Might and Magic because I was a dumb kid when I played it. And I don't know that it would hold up very well. Um, so <laughs> what is that experience like uh, jumping back to a game that's kind of explicit modeled on that? game format i wouldn't say it, it it advances it feels a lot i i didn't play a ton of it but from what i played it feels a lot in the same way that symphony of war is just like all right what if we jumped back to a specific time in a game or franchise and then continued on from there so less less about moving that forward and more about getting it right and then maybe I guess if they did a Songs of Conquest two, maybe they push the formula forward a little bit more. But you know, like for both of those games, I think the idea is just like, hey, let's just get this correct so that people will like it and enjoy it and buy it, and then maybe we can do something with it later. Like I've seen other people say it might be better than heroes of might of magic but i didn't play enough to like really get into it like that yeah my experience with it was very similar to ian's where it was like it's something where the release calendar kept marching on and i had to move on to other stuff but i would love to loop back to it at some point um because yeah i love the art i think that it has a really strong turn-based turn-based combat system um it has interesting map design it has some 
factions with like really strong identities, both mechanically and like uh, visually. Um, so yeah, I'd say it was uh, it was it was sort of a hidden gem of of twenty 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 two. Yeah, and it's still an early access, and I, right. I think they either were going to or just added the map editor. So um, there's a lot of room for that to grow. Uh, before right. it actually comes out. Definitely, definitely. Well, the one big release, which is, it's weird to say that it's a release because it's been out for, you know, over 10 years at this point. <laughs> In some form or another, this that we haven't talked about yet is Dwarf Fortress, um, which finally came out on Steam. I feel like it, it I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I feel like it found... A larger audience i hope it found a larger audience um especially now that it has a little bit more of a friendly interface um we did a show on it fairly recently but so so like there's nothing that i feel like i can say that i didn't already say in that, that episode <laughs> other than it's probably one of the most important strategy games of all time it's, uh, it's my personal favorite game of all time uh, that's for sure <laughs> What is uh what so 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 walk me through because we haven't heard your your full take on it yet, Ian. What like how did you fall in love with Dwarf Fortress? Uh, well, I, I'll say that Dwarf Fortress is why I got into writing about games to begin with. It's it, it I remember reading um some of the let's play, um, just the chronicles that people had put together, like Boat Murdered, um, of you know different yeah. uh, uh you know. And, and I was just instantly fascinated by it. And, and uh, as someone who had spent a lot of time with PCs in the nineties um, with DOS based, you know, uh, games like Angband and rogue and things like that, I, you know, the, there was a immediate charm that the ASCII graphics uh, kind of evinced. Right. Uh, but then learning that it was such a deep simulation and that it would, that, you know, down to, the back teeth of one of the cats, you know, that's modeled in this, in this uh, simulation um, or the, the, the bug about uh, cats. The, there was a, uh, the tavern update that uh, came out several years ago. Um, cats were dying in people's fortresses due to, and maybe you guys had uh, talked about this uh, on the, on the episode, but the reason was um, that while dwarves were in the tavern uh, when they got a task, they would drop uh, whatever they were drinking um, and that liquid would stay in the simulation on the floor until something happened. And as cats moved through um, the tavern space, they would pick up um, whatever it was well, as they move through every, everything. They pick up dust or blood or slime or milk or whatever they've, they've walked through and uh, then they'll bathe themselves. And because it's such an obsessively detailed simulation, that means ingesting whatever they have on their fur. So they would be due to a bug ingesting like a, a full beers worth of alcohol at all at once. Um, and, and now there, there are different stages of drunkenness and it modeled in dwarf fortress. And this has to do not with how many beers you've had, uh, but actually alcohol by body weight. Like that's how they figure that it's, it's, a, it's such a weirdly detailed thing in a game that, you know, up until recently had no graphics that uh, I don't know, this was fascinating to me and the, and the, the stories and uh, outcomes that it produces. Uh, 
well, uh, now that I'm playing the Steam version, they just continue to be delightful and usually tragic. But um, I don't know. There's something fascinating about the fact that it's that detailed and it's just kind of like a work of will by these two guys uh, that they've just been working on. Not and again, up until recently, not for very much money, just basically to live on. And this is just their life's work, putting this uh, fiddly, fussy, weird simulation together. I don't know. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, it's it's um, definitely it's been like intimidating getting back into it just because of how detailed it is. Um, but yeah, I'm I I I just I adore this game. Um, Mike Mike G, have you have you played much Dwarf Fortress either the Steam version or any previous versions? I have played a lot of Dwarf Fortress. um and i I think i think probably got into it uh for the same reasons that ian did a long time ago um and i um i played it when i it was 2d when there was only one layer i've I've played it uh uh, obviously in the the intervening whatever it was 15 years where it was had layers um and uh yeah no i from the systems level and and everything else it's it's an absolutely fascinating thing and i i think it i mean it it already was in the um uh museum of modern art for a while wasn't it um yeah i think it still is yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it should be right like it's it's incredible um and so i was i actually thought of dwarf fortress though earlier when you were asking um, is there anything that you've been, you were waiting for this year that came out that you were a little disappointed by, um, that you may have built up in your mind? And I think for me, it was actually the graphical version of Dwarf Fortress. And interesting. I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. But I, I, in my head, I had thought to myself, well, there's something deep that will change somehow in my interaction with the game. If there are better menus and better graphics and things, and it'll be more smooth or, or something, but I didn't realize that. And this seems obvious in retrospect that, that they were just spending all of this time, literally just putting graphics on it. So I think almost, almost down to every tiny detail, the game is the same underneath. And now we can just, actually show other people who aren't crazy and and um are fine with a screen full of ascii um and i know i've heard from friends that have gotten into it for the first time and they're excited and they are seeing all of this and and they're going to fall in love with it and play it for a terrifying amount of time just like everybody else (laughs) um but uh but yeah no for me i'm not um i expected that all of my time this year after it came out would all my free time would just be dedicated to um, pouring more uh, Dwarf Fortress into my brain, but it hasn't really grabbed me uh, since the graphical release. And I think that's probably just because I played it to death beforehand. So it's not really, it's not nothing to really complain about. It's just personally, I didn't, I was, I had imagined there would be more of a shift or something, Um, but it's still fantastic. It's still incredible. I had that same experience with it, uh, that somehow in my head, there was some transformation that was going to happen that didn't because I I was kind of shocked when I fired up the graphical version. And I, again, I don't know what I was expecting, 
but there was this moment of, oh, wow, this is very much the same game as it was. Um, so, which is a yeah, blessing and a yeah. curse. And I like, think. It, it's not something to really right. complain about, right? I, yeah. But I, I'm really interested to know how, <laughs> like, what is the uptake rate going to be like for people who are brand new to it and encountering it for the first time? Does this help a lot, a little at, at all? Because it is, it's a game that is just built out of personal idiosyncrasies. It feels like going through, I've said this before, but like the Collier Brothers house in uh, New York, kind of a famous uh, pair of um, hoarders who um, just had this intricate maze set up through their brownstone. And in a, in a sense, Dwarf Fortress feels kind of like that. It feels very personal. Like there's a logic to it that isn't shared uh, by other games. I mean, despite the fact that so many games are kind of derived from ideas in it, um, it's so idiosyncratic um, that I don't, I have a hard time under, like imagining what somebody who's brand new to it is going to experience when they try to boot this up. Yeah. I wonder if it's like reading some seminal novel, like reading Neuromancer in 2022 for the first time and going, why this is so hokey. Yeah. Why would anybody care about any of this? It's- oh yeah. I, I, I described it in the, the thing I have a term for it for, for movies and stuff, the flash Gordon effect. When you go back to something that was like the bedrock, starter of an idea or or concept or aesthetic or whatever after having played or read or watched all of the things that it it inspired and then you're kind of like is is this is this that good i think dwarf fortress is i mean we we i was actually on the podcast for dwarf fortress so i've said a lot about it but yeah sometimes there's that that feeling in certain things where you go back and you're like, I, mm, yeah, it's been done. Yeah. I think what I was trying to put together when we originally did the show on it, that I just, it just came to me how to phrase this like succinctly, but Dwarf Fortress feels like a, like a rebellion against conventional ideas of marketability. And that's part of what I, love about it because i think a lot of like our favorite strategy games over the years have sort of stood in rebellion to conventional ideas of marketability i mean europa universalis 4 is not the type of game that you would look at and be like yeah i could sell anyone on this (laughs) you know um but you know people get drawn in by the strength of the stories they hear other players are able to make with it um, and they have sort of like this this word of mouth momentum. And uh, yeah, those those tend to be the games that stick with me for for many, many years. Um, yeah, Dwarf Fortress is great. Um, uh, you can go listen to more of our thoughts on our, our recent Dwarf Fortress episode. So Mike, Mike G, you said you, you have you have some early access games on the list here. Do you want to do? Uh, like a lightning round of what you think are like the best, the best early access games of 2022. Um, well, yeah, I picked out a couple that I, I thought were pretty good. I see we've got a couple of stars on against the storm. So I don't know if that's, that's a appropriately lightning round, uh, thing, or we should talk about that a little bit more, but, um, it's, that certainly had some, some pretty interesting ideas. Um, yes, we did a, a show on against the storm, didn't we? 
We did. Yeah. And I think I think John and Rowan both played that who are both not here. I haven't played it yet, despite hearing only amazing things. Yeah, about it's, it. I did. It's, I, it's I played it. I was on there, but I haven't played it. Yeah, I, I did uh, play it a, quite a bit and um, had a fun talk with Rowan on it on the show. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, if anybody, yeah. you know, is just now joining us, Ian, do you want to tell us what you what why you. uh you think uh, against the storm is uh, is worthy of mentioning here in the end of the year wrap up? Yeah, I well, I think uh, it, it it just uh, showed up on Steam this year. I think it had been in early access on Epic for uh, the year before that, and um, it's a brilliant little mix of a uh, of a kind of a colony management survival uh, sim uh, in the. I guess the tradition of say banished, uh, but it's in or this like uh, kind of, yeah, our frost frostpunk's a really good uh, uh, analog I'd say. And, um, but it, it um, adds some just brilliant new ideas. It's kind of got this Brian Jacques red wall kind of uh, setting, but, um, but I think the, the thing that really makes it stand out is the um, it it's, it's uh, the word we, I think used in the, on the show was sessionable. Um, it's, it's a, you've kind of got a hard limit on the amount of time that you can spend with any one settlement and it gives you a lot of opportunities for improvisation. So, uh, if you're creating a product like bread, you'll need flour, but you can grind that out of a couple different materials. So, uh, depending, you, you really do have to work with your environment and the, uh, the, the mix of, um, lizards or beavers and people that are, uh, in, you know, in your settlement. Uh, to make it work. It's a great game. There's a cool meta layer where you're kind of, you're sending tribute back to the the queen and trying to fight against this encroaching storm. Um, but just a, a really impressive game. And it, it started in early access at that kind of um, that level where it was, it's, it felt incredibly polished and well thought out um, against the storm is, is great. And I understand there's been some uh, like, additions to it over the past year that I haven't had a chance to check out, but I'm definitely excited to check it out again. And I will say a lot of people uh, do not discount Indy's aesthetic because what I think brought a lot of people, at least for me, when I looked at it, I was like, Oh, that looks kind of like Warcraft three. Like, yeah, 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 it does. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't uh, play like that, but like, visually like you look at the cities and the art and you're like oh that kind of looks like warcraft 3 i'm interested in that which is why i've added it to my list yeah i hope i get to spend some more time with it because yeah people that i people i tend to agree with are digging it so um yeah yeah it's, it's so atmospheric too and i know that word gets overused but um but I'm I'm not a, a writer in my day job, so I can I can use it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you haven't uh, sworn the oath to not yeah. use any of the ninety nine forbidden games exactly. journalism words. So, uh, would yeah. you call it visceral? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's no. okay. I'll just I'll stick with atmosphere. If there's actual viscera on the screen, you're allowed to say something is visceral. That's my <laughs> rule of thumb. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's uh, the fun um, factor is, is a five. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Okay. So other other early access things um, aside from Against the Storm, which um, which we talked about, um, I wanted to call out Sweet Transit, um, which Ooh, is yes. um, it's it's they've taken uh, Transport uh, Tycoon Deluxe or Open TTD, however you're familiar with it, um, and mixed it with uh, City Building which um, they're still like, these are all early access, right? So these are all sort of ideas that are brewing. Um, <clears throat> but even what's there, uh, I lost many hours to making my trains go to the right places. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you're in a, a, a world where, for one reason or another, it is impossible to um, get anywhere except by train. So, um, so you have to connect and build your, your cities and, and settlements using only yeah. trains and um it's it the art's a little um brown to me like everything kind of mushes together and and that's kind of a, a downside to picking apart exactly what's going on with all of your um bits and pieces that you're building together and i think in its current state the the tech tree tends to kind of peter out fairly quickly um but that makes sense considering um how how new it is and um i just think it's got lots of potential so i'm i'm pretty excited for that coming out maybe in the next year or two i started that and bounced a little bit off just because i got lost in the weeds of uh the system of gates and trains changing tracks and like there's a tutorial on it but like even like mentally while i was in the tutorial i was like I don't know if I'm entirely getting this. <laughs> yeah, they're probably assuming a lot of knowledge uh, from from previous similar games, and not um, their tutorial. I don't I, like they've got it laid out in in terms of here's here's some things you should do, but I think they could probably work on that a bit better to get get people um, set up better for sure. You're basically dividing your tracks up uh into segments that a train can or cannot enter uh using lighted signals and there's a couple different kinds. Yeah, it, it that sounds simple but it it gets complicated really fast and you can do some uh, really cool stuff with it but it, yeah, it, it it did take me a little while for the penny to drop on how the that the logic of uh like traffic management works in sweet transit. That's it. I absolutely love it. And um, that's another one that I'm going to dump dozens of hours into, I'm sure, before too long. I think my lightning round isn't very lightning. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> hey, it's, you know, we're, we're just vibing here. Um, I am very interested in this pirate quartermaster game. Well, uh, because you described <laughs> it in the notes as pirates plus a little FTL which I think Sid Meier's Pirates is is sort of a 3MA consensus Hall of Fame game that has not gotten a proper sequel in far too long. Um, it's, yeah, tell, tell us about this. <laughs> well, it's very small, so I don't want to oversell it, but um, okay. it's a, it's a, I think maybe... In that case, we're not going to talk about it. No, go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's a, a one-person game, I think, maybe, and... Um, you are running a pirate ship very similarly to how you do in, in Sid Meier's pirates and, and it's many uh, derivatives, but, um, but because you're viewing it from the side and you have individual pirates to think about and take care of and assign to stations and 
um, in in battles, you have to you have to actually type out commands to. You, they're very short; they're like four <laughs> letters or something. But you have to yell at, at everybody to duck or or fire or whatever it is. Tack. Um, it's just it's just fun. And the probably the thing that got it stuck in my mind the most is that a very important part of sailing is having somebody playing music, and you can have assign different people to the music stations. They all have different instruments, and they all start singing. And you're just sailing and it's just great. So if you're into pirates at all, I, I think it's worth a little look. <laughs> After that, um, there's a few other things on here. I, I'd call out Captain of Industry, which is an interesting um, Factorio type game, um, which has some interesting uh, systemic ways to try and address um the effects of pollution and, and climate change and things like that. Um, mm. And uh, some things they do really fantastically. Other things are a little, um, are a little um, less good, I guess. But, um, but again, you know, it's, it's early access. Um, there's some really interesting um, uh, ways that you can interact with the environment in terms of, um, you have to be digging up uh, mountains basically to do mining. And that's actually destroying and remodeling the, um, uh, what am I thinking of geometry um, of the, uh, of the map that you're on. And that is both satisfying and interesting again, from that sort of climate change, environmental destruction angle. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's got tons of potential too. I think that's, that's been really interesting. Um, and, uh, there's a couple of things that are like RimWorld that I thought were also pretty interesting this year. One's called Stardius. I don't really know how to say it. Star. Star. De- Stardeus is how I've been pronouncing it, but I have no idea. Yeah. I've just been thinking like Deus Ex Machina, like that's right. what they were going for. Yeah. 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 So Star D-E-U-S. And, yeah. um, that is, uh game where you are um stranded in space as a artificial intelligence that's built into the main computer of a ship that was uh sent from earth as the earth was in its dying last gasps and it didn't entirely work out the game opens and uh the ship has been destroyed by something there are a few people alive and you have to sort of rebuild things from there um And it's the way the tutorial unfolds that for you and gets you to reassemble the ship around you um, is just written so well. I, it it doesn't, I never expected that that would be such an important element of a game like that, that would suck me in. But, um, but it did. Absolutely. I just wanted to see what was going to happen next, what it was going to ask me to do next, what kind of bizarre problem we were going to have to solve. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, and, uh, I think there's a lot more to come. It's another one. I'd like everything I'm mentioning, the, the tech trees are not quite there yet. And after a certain while it kind of peters out a bit, but, um, but the foundation of what's there and the atmosphere and everything is just fantastic. So, um, I really hope that that gets lots of attention. Um, and the last thing I want to mention is something called Astro Colony, um, which is a, uh, a game that's kind of like satisfactory, um, uh, which if you haven't played it is a three dimensional factory builder, 
similar to Factorio and, and those other ones. Um, and uh, that's another one where you're you're in space and um, you're having to um, solve the various problems that come with uh, making oxygen and making a habitable environment for some people to uh, drop into. Um, and it just um, the freedom of wandering around in a, in a 3D space and uh, interacting with um, being able to actually navigate your uh, vessel out into the world rather than um, being stuck in one location for one of those uh, games typically, I think uh, is a neat spin on it. So those are my EA games. Yeah, the two I want to give a shout out to, and I'll kind of use this to transition into our our final segment, uh, Dune Spice Wars, which when I did my personal games of the year countdown, I didn't even count this with early access because it just feels like a finished game. Like it's it's the best RTS, I think, that came out this year. Um, Pretty clearly, they've added multiplayer now. I've had a lot of fun playing multiplayer. Um, it's just, uh, you know, Shiro games there. They, they are bringing the RTS back in the way that like, I want to see the RTS brought back where it's not just, okay, we're going to do, you know, the nineties, the early 2000 style of RTS in 2022, but we're actually putting some thought into, you know, but 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 actually, let's be honest, what what sucked about that paradigm of the RTS and uh, and and sort of trying to move forward in some interesting ways with that. Um, uh, so, yeah, highly recommend Dune Spice Wars. Um, and then my strategy game of the year, which is Terra Invicta. Um, although I do, I did want to give a lifetime achievement award to Dwarf Fortress. Uh, it felt weird to give it yeah. strategy game of the year when I originally played it in like 2008 or something. Um, yeah, T- Terra Invicta is like the most my shit game that came out this year. Like, it's like this is this is this is Lens Q Zone. This is just th- this game was designed, <laughs> you know, th- this hole was made for me. This is my hole. Yeah, um, Terra Ter- Invicta is the one for you and like. Rowan. like it's <laughs> yeah. i i took a look at it i was like oh they're talking about it i'm gonna see what it oh no 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 i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to dip out on this one um again we did a whole episode on it so like there's not a lot more that i have to say about it uh you know it's it's a it's a grand strategy geopolitical solar system colonization game where you're fighting off an alien invasion um and i just i love it to death there's so um, much game <laughs> the, it is a lot of game and it has a long way to go like john and i discussed the the parts of it that don't currently work the interface could use a lot of work so people who are not you know the sickos meme can look at it and not immediately get scared away by it maybe um so so that's one thing uh sort of like <laughs> making it so that the ways that the space layer interacts with the earth layer are not so awkward. Um, there's, there's still some things to be cleaned up. So unlike Dune Spice Wars, where I'm like, you could print this on a disc and put it on the shelf 
at the store and I don't think anyone would complain. I think Terra Invicta still has some some growing to do. It still has some kinks to work out, but um, it's my strategy game of the year. Um, yeah. Ian, if you had seems like another example, oh, like, yeah, of, go for it. oh, sorry, but just Ontario yeah. Invicta, I just wanted to say that it's yeah. another game that uh, it seems to like those games that you mentioned that have been uh, sort of explicit rejections of the received wisdom about how you make a strategy game. Yeah, that's Terra Invicta, right? Like that it bucks a lot of supposed rules about, uh, you know, pacing and, um, you know, how much information the player gets, at, you know, at a time. Um, I haven't gotten very far into it because I have played 45 hours of it yet. <laughs> uh, but it just, it's, it, I love that it's different, that it, it, it really is kind of reconsidering how like you, you, you don't have to take some of these assumptions for granted and you can re you make your own game. It, I'm, I'm always going to be impressed by a game that takes a, that approach. Yeah. I, I described it as like, this is the first game since like Crusader Kings 2 or Europa Universalis 4 that made me feel the same as I did during like my initial honeymoon period with those two games, which is something yeah. I don't really get very often. Um, so, yeah, really, really into it. Um, might not be for you, but it is my strategy game of the year. Ian, uh, and again, this this doesn't even necessarily have to be the best game of the year, but like, what is your favorite strategy game of 2022? Uh, for me, that's going to be uh, uh, Immortal Empires in Total War Warhammer 3. All right. Uh, we've talked about it already, but I can, that just feels like a massive land spread out before me that still has infinite potential in it. Um, so it's a game that I've already played uh, quite a bit of in 2022, and I'm going to be playing a lot of it in 2023. So um, now just as the kind of capstone of so much ambition starting out for this series. Um, it really is kind of the best way to play Warhammer right now. So, um, yeah, for me, that it's it's to War yeah. Warhammer three, but specifically the Immortal Empires campaign. Absolutely, uh, MH. What is your favorite strategy game of this year? Uh, I'll probably skip giving it to Tactics Ogre Reborn. So probably Midnight Suns. I'm a Marvel head, and. Uh, it's it's a nice fun game like i'm surprised uh people always like hey man you should add uh romance uh and relationships to xcom and uh Firaxis did sort of uh even though <laughs> it doesn't really play xcom ish um I, I know a lot of people some people were unhappy having to deal with the relationship side of things but i, I think it's fun did you finish it yet no Okay, yeah. Okay. I finished it and then because we did the episode on it with Fraser and, and Evan Lonnie and uh, I ended up finishing it like the day after we recorded that episode and I immediately went into our group chat that we used for that episode <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, yeah, there's some post credits stuff that's like very heavily hinting at where they want to take this franchise. That's pretty cool. Oh, um, good. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that they, they, they continue it on. Like, you know, maybe alternate an XCOM and a Midnight Suns. You don't even have to stick yeah. with the magic feel of it. You can 
play around with different parts of the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, that's probably my game. I, and I was surprised that it turned out as well as it did. It would probably be my runner up, honest. It would be between that and Immortal Empires. But, yeah, that would probably be my runner up. Uh, Mike G, what is your favorite strategy game of 2022? Well, um, I'm going to be weird. Um, I guess that's uh <laughs> that's maybe... why we have you here now. <laughs> um but uh I thought about this for a little while and um there was one tactics game that I played this year that I didn't have any complaints about and it's this very small little game on Steam called Ardor A R D O R and um it's just a very simple deck building uh hex based sort of um they call it puzzle tactics and i guess it is um a game and it's it's simple it's elegant um it's satisfying and i just i really enjoyed all my time with it so i'm going to give it hmm. to arter yeah wow it is free that's that's cool yeah wow. yeah it's uh i just had no complaints the whole time i was playing i had no criticisms i was just like this is great good job what so like what would you compare it to for like someone who, you know, you were trying to sell it. I'm seeing like hexagons. I'm seeing cards with abilities on them. Yeah, the abilities are a lot like um, Slay the Spire type uh, abilities to an extent, but you're, okay. you're moving around on a hex grid. So they you combine movement and attack and you sort of have to switch between and balance those um, to defeat enemies on the hex grid that you're playing on. So um, you sort of have to think about um, Helps if you can think maybe like three moves ahead. <laughs> I was about to say, like, probably like a significant portion of the three MA audience was just like, you had me at hex grid, all, you know, free hex grid. Like, yeah. that's, you know, yeah. what, what, what more? What more do you need to it's hear? It's certainly worth trying, um, I think, for the, for the price of zero dollars. Yeah. Yeah. There's also you know, Songs of Conquest also has a hex grid. True, it does. It does. It has a very pretty hex grid. Um, yeah. Well, I think that that just about wraps it up. Um, does anybody have any final thoughts or anything you want to plug? Any thoughts about the year that was twenty twenty two? Before we uh, we get out of here, it was a good strategy. Strategy. Yeah. It really was. It really was a great it year. It feels like the, the preceding two years have kind of led to, uh, I don't know. It, it feels like we're busting out of some creative ruts and, uh, that's really kind of cool to see. There's, uh, from whether it's uh, Dune spice wars and, and kind of Shiro taking RTS in a different direction or uh, dwarf just, just continuing to do its own thing or, um, or Terra Invicta doing its own thing. Um, I feel like there's a broader horizon now than there was. It's been ex expanded in some immeasurable way. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes because there've been years yeah. where strategy games have kind of, it felt like siloed into several specific tracks and an RTS looked like an RTS and four uh, X was going to be pretty much like another four X uh, that may not be the case anymore. And I think that's pretty encouraging. Or even, you know, to expand on that, Immortal Empires and Victoria 3, I think, are both examples of where someone took an idea where it's like, OK, this is 
on paper, this is absolutely yeah. ridiculous, but we're just going to go for it. Um, and I love, you know, I could also put Terra and Victa into that category. Um, I love that people are going for it. And sometimes it doesn't work out yeah. perfectly. Um, you know, Victoria three was an example of that. Sometimes it works out really well, like it has with the Bordel empires. Um, granted, you know, they've been developing some version of that game for like seven years now, almost eight. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I do enjoy also that uh, a lot of these smaller developers, I guess, game development has gotten to the point that a lot of these smaller developers can visit some lost versions of strategy, lost strategy titles, and sort of rebuild them. And they're actually uh, pretty competent um, compared to maybe previous years. Like some, you know, indie developers would jump into a style of game and wouldn't quite deliver. But like you got Shiro, who knows what they're doing. You got, uh, you know, Frontier doing a couple of different things. I think... I want to say Damon Hunters is either Frontier or like a Frontier just bought them. Yeah. Sub studio. Yeah. They, they've yeah, been an indie like studio in I think Edmonton, Alberta uh, up till then. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they also, um, uh, we didn't even talk about two point hospital, which came out this year, which I think is another example of that where like, you know, this is sort of a, a forgotten niche in gaming that has now gotten up to the point that like an indie developer can come in and be like, all right, we got this. And it, it feels about as good as you would expect those older games from bigger studios to feel. Yeah. From like a, even like maybe the mechanics don't fully get there, but the mechanics are, are good enough compared to what we lost. However many years ago, and usually aesthetically, a lot of this stuff is turning out really well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. All right. Well, I think the next time you hear from uh, three moves ahead, we will be looking ahead to the year that is 2023. Um, at least as far as we can. People don't really announce stuff that far ahead anymore, especially in like indie strategy. It's like stuff will just appear out of the fog and it's like, oh, okay, uh, that's cool. Um, but we'll do our best to round up what we're, we're looking forward to. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can head over to idlethumbs.net slash 3MA, find all our past episodes, find our forums, uh, all, all that good stuff. Uh, we're also supported by listeners just like you on Patreon, where we are patreon.com slash 3MA. Um, just going to be getting some updates to our uh, our backer tiers for 2023. Keep an eye out for that. But it's still going to be bonus episodes, Discord access, play multiplayer, play our Dwarf Fortress Succession game that I'm holding up because I haven't done my turn yet. Um, and uh, we appreciate it because, you know, really, uh, I I particularly appreciate it because <laughs> it pays a significant amount of my bills. Uh, as the the podcast editor. Um, uh, we're also on Twitter where we are at 3MA. Um, the website might be held together by Twine at this point, but it's still there and uh, we'll still be there uh, hopefully in the new year. Uh, yeah, that's going to that's going to about do it. 
which I feel like I've said three or four times already, but it's it's New Year's Eve and uh, my brain is ready to just check out for however many hours we have left in 2022. Uh, so for Ian and for both of the mics, this is Len saying goodnight.